If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello, listeners. I'm Eliza, and welcome to another episode of Leave the Lights On, brought to you by Podmoth. As always, thank you for taking the moment to tune in to us, as I know you have tons and tons of options out there that you can get your true crime and paranormal fix. But instead, you chose to hang out with this tiny little podcast and you, me, and I really do appreciate that. Another thank you goes out to those who continue to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Unfortunately, this week it was kind of a little bit of a lull in terms of reviews, but that's all right. Uh, These things do happen. I just encourage anyone listening to take a moment, go leave a review for the show. Uh, It really does help us out. Another way that you can help us out is by becoming a Patreon member. It truly is one of the best ways to support a podcast and you receive a reward, or rather rewards. Membership just starts at a dollar, which gives you access to ad-free episodes, as well as the mini episode series, Crime in 10. And I cannot tell you guys how awesome that series has been to work on as it opens up a whole extra possibilities for me to explore cases that otherwise don't get the the 30 minute or hour long attention. And so that that is really meaningful for me. And you know, this $1 membership literally is less than a cup of coffee. And so dive deep into your pockets and any support that you can give would be really greatly appreciated. Another way that you can help support the show if you're not really into this Patreon thing is to go check out the merch store. I have a lot of little goodies up there, three shirts um, that are really cool, including the show's logo, uh, the wonderfully Bigfoot uh, shirt that is really fun. Also our Bouchit shirt, which will be perfect to wear on Halloween or in the month of October. And you can find all of these links. Patreon, merch, uh, even links to where you can listen to the show, all on our website, which is at lightsonpod.com. Again, that's lightsonpod.com. Go check it out. I have really great resources on the website there, including links to, like I already mentioned, the shows. And there are all kinds of other little goodies, including our top five episodes that are most listened to. So check that out at lightsonpod.com. Okay, enough of the business. As always, let's go ahead and get into our case. As this case, honestly, is one that doesn't get talked about a lot uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it happened, you know, way back in like 1982. So it's uh, an older case. But the other reason is, too, that it doesn't really take place in the United States. It takes place in Canada. And for those of us who, which majority of the listeners are in Canada, or sorry, not in Canada, I would love for some listeners in Canada, uh, but majority of the listeners for this show are based here in the U.S. 
And so all too often, I have been covering a lot of U.S. stories. However, lately, I've been kind of branching out to other areas like Australia for our mini episodes. But when I started investigating this case or really researching it, I was shocked that this didn't get much more coverage than what it got. It just kind of appeared as a blip on the true crime radar. And unfortunately, I had a really difficult time trying to get information for this crime as either the articles are old and have been archived and I can't get access to them, or it just wasn't really covered like it would be covered today, if that makes sense. So let's go ahead, sit back, relax, and let's start. On May 7th, 1982, at 10.20 a.m., a secretary from the 600 Group located in Missaguay, Ontario, Canada, received an odd phone call. A man's voice came over the phone and told her, quote, My name is Fred Baker. There's a body out back. She's been killed. Call the proper authorities. End quote. At first, she didn't believe the man and dismissed his call as a prank. However, a second call would come through, and this time, the man said, quote, This is Fred. Have the police arrived yet? End quote. Fearing this wasn't a joke anymore, the secretary decided to head outside to the back of the building where she would stumble on a body. This, of course, prompted her to call the police. Now, what I'm about to say next may be hard for some to hear. So if that's the case, please feel free to fast forward a bit. I won't be offended as I completely understand. And I do apologize that I'm kind of blindsiding you right from the get-go with some gruesome details, but this was a very gruesome case. When the Peel Regional Homicide Inspectors arrived on scene, they found the victim's head covered with a 66-pound block. Her sweater and bra were pulled up, fully exposing her breast. Her jeans were rolled down to her ankles, exposing her genitalia, and her legs were positioned in a spread eagle manner. The officers observed a safety pin inserted into her left nipple, as well as several scratches and bite marks on her breast. They also observed burn marks on her breast and pubic area. There were several puncture marks on her neck and chest, along with deep lacerations on the top and sides of her skull. The board with the nail protruding was located beneath her skull. The crime scene search revealed a number of bloodstains and drag marks leading towards the body, along with a smaller, bloody building block. The victim would later be identified as 16-year-old Darlene Dolly Perillo. She was a straight-A student who loved horses and hanging out with her friends. Whoever committed this crime clearly had a hatred for the victim. This case also presented the authorities with an organized and disorganized scenario based on the various methods of torture and killing. Police were then called back inside the building when they got word that the secretary received another phone call from the alleged perp. But this time, there was no exchange of words, just loud breathing. So she hung up. The perp called back immediately saying, quote, the future's uncertain, the end is always near, and you're gonna die too, end quote. Now, this is when things got serious. And I'm gonna take a pause here and just kind of bring to your attention that when I googled the future is uncertain, the end is always near, just that section, that is actually from a song that was done by the Rolling Stones. And I just thought that that was kind of interesting that that was taken from it. And yeah, 
kind of odd, weird, creepy, whatever you want to call it. It was just a interesting observation. Inspector Rod Pakula decided that he and his team would try to trace the call to determine where it was coming from. But in order for this to work, the secretary had to keep the perp on the line for as long as she could. Like clockwork, the perp called again, and this time to say that there were three sticks of dynamite set for three minutes a couple of doors up. Everyone was evacuated from the building, but the secretary and Pakala, who for the last time picked up the phone when it rang, this time the perp told them, quote, they had a minute and a half to go, end quote. Everyone made it out safely and the bomb squad was able to confirm there was no bomb. The caller was just bluffing. The detectives were able, though, to trace the calls back to a factory that was located just blocks away from the 600 company. The authorities also learned that someone who would later be discovered to be the suspect had made two additional calls to the Misagwa News. Determined to find the killer, Bakala and his partner headed over to the factory that was identified by the trace. The owner told them there was only one phone on the factory floor that all employees shared. Pakala also noticed a garage door next to the phone that overlooked the crime scene. To him, this couldn't just be a coincidence, as whoever committed this crime would be able to relive what they did over and over, all from the comfort of his job. And honestly, that's something that's just super creepy. And I know that especially like with serial killers, they have like a sacred ground where oftentimes they bury their victims or they take trophies to kind of try to remember remember the situation. But to have it right outside your work, I mean, I hate my work sometimes and I don't want to have to go there to visit it for any happy occasion. So for this guy, he must either really like his job or is just really, really lazy and kind of wants to do like a two birds, one stone situation. Now, the owner of the factory was requested by Pakala to listen to a tape recording of the suspect in which they identified one of their workers, 17-year-old David Dobson. So here's where things get even more interesting. The following day, an employee at the plant where Dobson worked located a piece of paper with the telephone number of the 600 group and the Masagua News on Dobson's desk. A further search of the plant by Detective Sergeant Hancock and Inspectors Pakala and Honer revealed a piece of paper with the phrase, the future's uncertain, the end is always near, taped to the wall above Dobson's workbench. The phone numbers for the 600 group and the Masagwa News were again observed on another piece of paper. Now, you would think that the authorities would arrest Dobson right away with such incriminating evidence. But the thing is, those pieces of paper only linked him to the threatening calls. And I'm not sure what the like what charges would have been brought to him for that other than, you know, not even I don't think it was would be a misdemeanor. I just know that he would not be spending decades in jail for these these calls. But Collin wanted to build a solid case towards Dobson that would lead to charges against Dolly's death. There wasn't much physical evidence at the crime scene, so the police decided to set up various scenarios in hopes of documenting more evidence. That Monday at the factory, Dobson was shown a newspaper account of the murder by a fellow employee who was acting under the direction of investigators. He immediately opened the paper to the appropriate page and began to read aloud to the other employees, 
Dotson then proceeded to cut both stories from the paper and placed them in his wallet. These articles would be found on Dobson's person when he was later brought in by authorities. Dobson was also monitored making telephone calls to people listed in the telephone book with the same last name as Darlene. In addition, authorities were able to document him calling Darlene's school, requesting information about the funeral. The authorities then recorded him calling the cemetery, requesting the location of the plot. And this is just sickening. This man was going above and beyond and was literally trying to torture the family by calling them, harassing them, saying that he killed them. And I'll even tell you guys, he didn't really use his real name. He used up a made up name, but it still brought damage to the family. And police were getting really pissed off. But like I said earlier, they wanted to build a solid case to put him in jail for hurting Dolly who was a wonderful high school student and was just completely innocent. And to have this to happen to her is just, it hurts me. It hurts me to think about this. Now, later that same day, the surveillance officer observed Dobson delivering a package to the Misagua Library. This package was a four-page letter addressed to Inspector, now Deputy Chief Wingate, detailing what had transpired on May 6th and included several taunting messages to the police. In the envelope were Darlene's necklace and her cigarette lighter. Thanks to the internet, a scanned copy of the letters is available for anybody who would like to view it. I, of course, took a look, and the word disgusting doesn't do the letter justice. In the letter, Dobson basically says Darlene liked being raped, that she was almost asking for it. Also, it told the police, quote, I won't strike again until next year at the same time. Set up your bait and try to catch me. See you next year, end quote. This letter, as well as Darlene's necklace and lighter, was the hard evidence the police needed. And on May 12th, Dobson was arrested by inspectors Honer and Pakala. At the station, Dobson provided the officers with a complete verbal and written account of the murder. He also provided handwriting, voice, dental impressions, and physical specimen samples, which were matched to the crime. His palm prints were matched to the latent prints taken from the victim's legs. The bloody brick that he used to strike the victim in the face was also found on the front floor of his car. When Inspector Piccolo was later interviewed about the case, he recalled how calm and emotionless Dobson was on the day of his arrest, saying, quote, he had a little smile. Now, earlier I mentioned that inspectors were able to match Dobson's palm print to the latent prints taken from Dolly's legs. This was a key part of their case that almost didn't happen. Hey listeners, Eliza here with a very special announcement, which is we are on Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a way for listeners like you to donate to our show and receive rewards. What are those rewards you're asking? Well, I'll tell you a few of them. They are exclusive content, discounted merch, and for our top tier donors, your name will not only be read out loud on our show, but we will also put it on our wonderful website. So your name will be immortalized in audio and on the internet. If this sounds really enticing, head over to lightsonpod.com, go to our support page, and there you will find the link to Patreon. <laughs> 
Thanks, guys, and let's go ahead and jump into our episode. See, when investigators first arrived on scene, they felt that Darlene must have been handled based off of her body positioning and by the way her clothing was partly removed. This could mean prints were left behind. So the examiners use a technique called chrome coat. This technique uses a high gloss paper where the surface is placed on the fingerprint to lift it from the surface. However, a limited supply of the chrome coat paper yielded negative results making it necessary to go on to another technique. So they turned to a technique called Magna Brush Powder Technique that was used successfully in the Miami, Florida spa murders. This technique is where a fine powder is applied. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Applied with a brush after which it adheres to perspiration residues and body oil deposits, visualizing the print. The Magna brush technique is basically what we see in any like CSI crime show or any true crime documentary. It's the little brush, they do the little dance, and powder shows up, and bam, there's a fingerprint on a surface. I just want to let you guys know that this was the first time in the history of fingerprinting in Canada that the fingerprint of an accused on skin had been identified using this technique. So that's just kind of like a, a fun, not so fun fact. The fingerprint and other evidence led to Dobson being convicted of first degree murder. He is serving life in prison with a minimum of 25 years ordered by the court before he will be eligible for parole application. So the only question is, why? Why did Dobson commit this crime and cause so much torture for Dolly's family? The following is taken from his confession and may give us an insight into the inner workings of his mind. But I must warn you before I go on that some of what you're about to hear just may be disturbing to hear. (laughs) But so if you're sensitive to this, as always, you guys are more than welcome to fast forward. Uh, I, I completely understand. Trust me, when I was reading this and looking at the pictures and researching this case, there were a couple of moments that I had to, I had to put a pause on it as I was feeling nauseous. So yeah, let's uh, get into this. 
the suspect provided police with the following confession. He stated that he had pulled into the back of the 600 Group, a factory, and then put the car into park. He stated, I then lunged at her over the front seat real quick. I was beside her and I started to grab her tit. I reached over and put my hands under her knees and then pulled them up onto the seat so she was lying on the seat. I told her to take her pants down and she did. I spread her legs and I licked her vagina. Then I took my pants down and got up on her and screwed her. I ejaculated and I said, that's it. And she asked if she could sit up in the front seat. I said, sure. And then she held on a second and I grabbed her belt loop so she wouldn't run away. While we were walking, I said I had a present for her. I reached into the car through the open window and grabbed a brick from the floor. I looked at her and then hit her with the brick over the left eye. She screamed, oh no, just before I hit her and the brick and then sort of screamed in pain. I hit her one or two more times on the side of the head and then she fell down. Then I saw a bigger brick, so I put the small one down and then picked up the one bigger and hit her on the head about seven times. Then she screamed and said, don't strangle me. Then I looked over and seen the board and picked it up and put it on her throat and applied pressure. I released it after about a minute and she sucked some air in and she was still breathing so I saw another board that was longer so I got it and held the end against her throat and stood up and leaned my weight on it. I did this for about two or three minutes. Then I let up and threw the board away and I grabbed her by the feet and dragged her over to the field. I was dragging her by the pant leg and when I got over there, I noticed her clothing were pulled up around her shoulders. Her breasts were exposed and I could see her lighter and safety pin. I leaned over and bit her right nipple, then I got the lighter and I pulled her jeans off to her ankles and I ripped her panties off and just tossed them to the side. I used the lighter and singed her pubic hair. Then I picked up the safety pin and put it through her left nipple, then put the lighter to her bright breast. I spotted a piece of wood with a nail in it and I put the board with the nail on it in her chest and I hit with my hands and drove the nail into her chest. I did this between five and seven times. Then I saw this big brick about three feet away and I picked it up and dropped it on her chest. I did this probably seven or eight times. She was still quivering at this time, so I put the board with the nail under her neck with the nail up and pushed her head on it. Then I pulled the lumber jacket over her head and I got the big brick beside her head and then flipped it over on her head. I stood up and urinated on her and then I left. Oh, I forgot one thing. I remember the moon shining on her necklace, which was around her neck, but was broken. I took it off and put it in my pocket in the lighter too. I walked over to the car and picked up the small brick and put it on the floor of the front seat. I got in the car and drove home. I got home about 12.20 midnight and I went right to sleep. The next day, I got up about 6 a.m. and went to work between 7 and 7.30. On my way to work, I drove back past the location where the murder was committed to get the name of the company. Most of this confession actually matched what was in the letter authorities found at the library. And I also forgot to tell you guys that the way that Dolly wound up in this man's car is actually even more scarier. She was just leaving her boyfriend's house and he dropped her off at the bus stop, which wasn't far from his house. He, the boyfriend would later say that he could actually see her from his bedroom window, see her at the bus stop. And apparently um, the boyfriend said that he remembered looking out his window and seeing this vehicle pull up right next to her. And apparently some words were exchanged. And the thing is, Dobson never really It explains to the police, or at least that I could find, to where, you know, how he was able to get her into the car. Uh, It is suspected that he offered her, like, a ride, and she, I guess, bought his story and hopped in the car. And then at that point, um, that's when it picks up to where 
in his confession and in the letter, it does talk about how he was told her that he was taking her to her house, but instead he actually drove past it and started speeding through all the stop signs and stoplights. So that way she would not like unbuckle her seatbelt and roll out of the car when it would stop. And then that is where he ended up at this location and did all these horrible, horrible things to her. And there's no motive. And that's like the most scariest thing I think is that when in a case, we often want a motive because it just explains, it makes it like a nice little package. But for this one, there is no nice little package. There's just this guy got pissed off and saw an opportunity, took it. And then for whatever reason, he decided to to harm this girl in such a manner that is just horrific and unexcusable. Now, for Darlene's family, seeing this monster behind bars for life was the best justice they could receive. However, on April 17th, 2007, Dobson was up for parole. The hearing was an emotional affair for Darlene's family, who saw Dobson for the first time since 1983. Darlene's sister, Terry, stated, quote, His eyes were the most horrible eyes I've ever looked to in my life. During her impact statement, Terry said, quote, They said, well, you can't say the word monster. You can't call him a product of the devil. It's disrespectful. Well, where was my sister's respect when he was murdering her? End quote. At that point, she just ripped up her victim impact statement in just complete frustration. And I'm pretty sure if I was in that situation, I would do that and probably try to assault the guy with my fists. Now, Darlene's mother, Helen, also called Dobson a monster. She shouted out, I'm not buying your act, when Dobson mouthed the words, I'm sorry to her. The board did deny Dobson's parole. However, due to Canadian law, Dobson will be able to reapply in two years, something the Perilla family was trying to change through a nationwide petition. We left that hearing feeling relieved knowing that a killer was being kept from killing again, said Terry, who was 19 when her sister died, by the way. But we also felt the torment and anguish of knowing that we would have to do it all over again in another two years. But they gave my sister's killer an education, three squares meals, and a room, not a cell, with a full door for privacy. Tell me again, who got the life sentence? End quote. When asked about the petition, Terry stated, quote, We don't think convicted killers or repeat offenders should ever get out. And if you get life in prison, it should mean life in prison but we know that's not going to happen. So we're asking the federal government to increase the time to five years instead of two. Families have already been victimized once. They shouldn't have to be victimized every two years. Having to face a loved one's killer and to read what he did to her and how her death has affected our lives is something nobody should ever have to do once, never mind twice, end quote. In 2004, Dobson was transferred to a fenceless minimum security prison in the usual process leading to release. But with the assistance of the Canadian Resource Center for Victims of Crime, Terry persuaded officials to return him to a medium security prison. In 2015, the C-479 bill was passed, which did extend the parole review from two years to five. This was thanks to the hard-fought battle by Darlene's sister. Also in the bill, the parole board would take into consideration the need for victims and victims' family to attend a hearing and observe the proceedings and would require the parole board to consider 
any victim impact statement presented by victims. Dobson still sits in prison waiting for the next parole hearing. Not much is known as to what he's been up to, and honestly, I'm okay with that as he can fade into history and just being an unknown kind of guy. Darlene's family is taking each day one at a time and continues to fight to keep Dodson behind bars. And I'm sure there are listeners out there who stand behind them, as I definitely do. Thank you guys for hanging in there. Um, I know there were some graphic details, uh, but you know, Darlene's story really needed to be heard. As I was doing this research, I discovered not many people know about it. And I feel that they do as Dobson every five years can be up for parole and can be released out into the public and could potentially hurt someone again. Let's go ahead and move on. I know that that was dark and sad, but let's go ahead and move on to something a little bit lighter and just go ahead and read our Patreon members' uh, names. I am so happy that I get to do this every week as for a long time, I really didn't think that this was going to happen. I'll be honest with you all. I right before um, this donor, whom whom I'm going to read her name, right before she donated, I honestly was thinking about shutting down the Patreon program because it took forever or it's been a while since I had anybody really be interested in it. And I was getting really discouraged by the fact that I felt that I wasn't creating content good enough to receive support. And I tell you guys all the time, the money does go back. Whatever I do receive goes back into the maintenance of the show, whether that means licensing, uh, the website fees, the subscription fees, like all kinds of crazy fees. And I'd be happy to post them on my website and to be completely transparent with you there. But it does take a lot of money that I take out from my own pocket and to put back into the show. And if you guys haven't known by now, I'm a teacher, so we don't get paid that much. And for me to go and take from my own pocket, it's been a little bit of a struggle. Um, I'm surviving, of course, clearly. But it's nice to know that there is someone or a group of someone's out there that really, truly supports the work that I do and believes it and wants to back it up financially. And so this is just a small way for me to say thank you. You guys can be a part of this because it is, you know, a monthly subscription uh, service. You can cancel at any time. You don't have to to stick with it and be stuck with it for however long you feel. Uh, if you're dissatisfied with the rewards, by all means, you're more than happy to leave. But I do hope that you stay. I do hope that you become a member because my ultimate goal right now is to get a new microphone for the, the studio here. Um, not that the one I'm talking to now is bad. It's just I think it's time to upgrade to a little bit more of a professional one. Um, so any kind of help and support with that would be greatly appreciated. And the wonderful, beautiful soul that is helping with this goal uh, is my, she's at the wow super friend level is Catherine Browning. I thank you so much, Catherine, for continuing to support the work that I do through Patreon and also through the show. I, I'm doing like a thank you, uh, whoop, whoop hand raising kind of thing here. I I really hope that this is good enough. (laughs) Good enough. Thank you. But I I will do better. I promise. Catherine and then those who also have purchased merch from the store are really just helping me get one step closer to, you know, my goal, which is a new mic. Uh, You can also be one of these people that helps me reach this goal, help support what I'm doing by becoming a Patreon member. For little, it's just $1, guys. Um, I know, and this is no disrespect to 
my fellow podcast uh, colleagues who may be listening to this, but I know that there are some podcasts out there, especially big brand podcasts, who charge way more than a dollar for their um, Patreon membership access. And that's fine. They have every right to do that. But for my end, because I know times are tight and uh, everybody just are really struggling, trust me, I'm struggling too. That's why I think that a dollar is, you know, just to come and support for a dollar is ample enough. Because if you just imagine it, imagine if like 100 people donated a dollar each month, that's $100 that I could have towards the continuation of this podcast. Because if I didn't have this the support and I wouldn't be able to bring you this podcast for free. Um, yeah, kind of scary. And plus, I wouldn't be able to continue. I would eventually have to shut this thing down and kind of sulk back into my corner and cry a little bit. But not right now. Catherine is helping me and so are those who are getting the merch. You guys are truly a blessing. All right, enough of me going on about this and basically on my hands and knees begging you to help me. Um, you can find all these links if you're interested on our uh, website, which is lightsonpod.com. That also includes the links to our merch store as well and to the PayPal account, which is like a one-time donation. None of that monthly subscription stuff. Uh, you just donate whatever you feel and it goes straight to the account. Uh, if you liked what you heard, as always, please head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review. It's free and quick, plus you're helping out a small-time podcast. While you're there, hit the subscribe button to be one of the first people to get new episodes. Not an Apple fan? Don't worry, that's okay. The show is on Spotify as well as iHeartRadio, so feel free to subscribe there. You can connect with me, and I always invite you guys to connect with me on our social, uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, even good old-fashioned email, leave the lights on podcast at gmail.com. I'm always happy to receive an email. You can also check us out on podmoth.network. Please go check them out. Please go support the other podcasters that are part of the Pod uh, Moth Network. I've got a couple of good friends there, of which Killer Kudzu, they, I'm doing a shout out for you guys today. Go check that podcast out. They are amazing women. They're Southern girls, Southern girls strong right here. So go check them out. That's Killer Kudzu Podcast. Um, great bunch of ladies. Uh, and you can find them on the podmoth.network. All right, guys, thank you for listening. And remember, it's scary out there, so leave the lights on. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.